CD4 Lutze patiently adjusted a tiny mirror to redirect sunlight more favourably on one of the bonsai mountains. He hummed tunelessly under his breath. Lobsang, sitting cross-legged on the stones, carefully turned the yellowing pages of the ancient notebook on which was written in faded ink The Way of Mrs. Cosmopolite. Well, said Lutze, the way has an answer for everything, does it? Yes. Then, Lobsang nodded at the little volcano, which was gently smoking. How does that work? It's on a saucer. Lutze stared straight ahead, his lips moving. Page 76, I think, he said. Lobsang turned the page. Because, he read. Good answer, said Lutze, gently caressing a minute crag with a camel-hair brush. Just because, Master, no reason. Reason? What reason can a mountain have? And as you accumulate years, you will learn that most answers boil down eventually to because. Lobsang said nothing. The Book of the Way was giving him problems. What he wanted to say was this. Lutze, this reads like a book of the sayings of an old lady. It's the sort of thing old ladies say. What kind of koan is, it won't get better if you pick at it, or eat it up, it'll make your hair curly, or everything comes to he who waits. This is stuff you get in hogswatch crackers. Really? said Lutze, still apparently engrossed in a mountain. I didn't say anything. Oh, I thought you did. Jimmy sank more pork? Yes, I didn't have to sweep floors there. Were you a good thief? I was a fantastic thief. A breeze blew a scent of cherry blossom. Just once, thought Lutze, it would be nice to pick cherries. I have been to Ankh Morpork, he said, straightening up and moving on to the next mountain. You have seen the visitors we get here? Yes, said Lobsang. Everyone laughs at them. Really? Lutze raised his eyebrows. When they have trekked thousands of miles seeking the truth? But did not Wen say that if the truth is anywhere, it is everywhere? said Lobsang. Well done. I see you've learnt something at least. But one day it seemed to me that everyone else had decided that wisdom can only be found a long way off. So I went to Ankh-Morpork. They were all coming here, so it seemed only fair. Seeking enlightenment? No, the wise man does not seek enlightenment. He waits for it. So while I was waiting, it occurred to me that seeking perplexity might be more fun, said Lutze. After all, enlightenment begins where perplexity ends. And I found perplexity. And a kind of enlightenment too. I had not been there five minutes, for example, when some men in an alley tried to enlighten me of what little I possessed, giving me a valuable lesson in the ridiculousness of material things. But why Ankh Morpork? said Lobsang. Look in the back of the book, said Lutze. There was a yellow, crackling scrap of paper tucked in there. The boy unfolded it. Oh, this is just a bit of the almanac, he said. It's very popular there. Yes, a seeker after wisdom left it here. Um, 
It's just got the phases of the moon on this page. Other side, said the sweeper. Lobsang turned the paper over. It's just an advert from the Ankh-Morpork Guild of Merchants, he said. Ankh-Morpork has everything. He stared at the smiling Lutze. And you thought that... Ah, I am old and simple and understand, said the sweeper, whereas you are young and complicated. Didn't Wen see portents in the swirl of gruel in his bowl, and then in flight of birds? This was actually written. I mean, flights of birds are quite complex, but these were words. And after a lifetime of searching I saw at last the opening of the way, my way. And you went all the way to Ankh-Morpork, said Lobsang weakly. And I fetched up, calm of mind but empty of pocket, in Querm Street, said the sweeper, smiling serenely at the recollection, and espied a sign in a window saying, Rooms to rent. Thus I met Mrs. Cosmopolite, who opened the door when I knocked, and then when I hesitated, not being sure of the language, she said, I haven't got all day, you know. Almost to a word, one of the sayings of when. Instantly I knew that I had found what I was seeking. During the days I washed dishes in an eating house for twenty pence a day, and all the scraps I could take away. And in the evenings I helped Mrs. Cosmopolite clean the house and listen carefully to her conversation. She was a natural sweeper, with a good rhythmical motion, and had bottomless wisdom. Within the first two days, she uttered to me the actual words said by when upon understanding the true nature of time. It was when I asked for a reduced rate, because, of course, I did not sleep in a bed, and she said, I was not born yesterday, Mr. Tsai. Astonishing. And she could never have seen the sacred texts. Lobsang's face was a carefully drawn picture. I was not born yesterday, he said. Ah, yes, of course. As a novice you would not have got that far, said Lutze. It was when he fell asleep in a cave, and in a dream saw time appear to him, and show him that the universe is recreated from second to second, endlessly, with the past just a memory. And he stepped out from the cave into the truly new world, and said, I was not born yesterday. Oh, yes, said Lobsang, but, ah, Mrs. Cosmopolite, said Lutze, his eyes misting over, what a woman for keeping things clean. If she were a sweeper here, no one would be allowed to walk on the floor. Her house, so amazing a palace, new sheets every other week, and cook, just to taste her beans baked upon the toast, a man would give up a cycle of the universe. Um, said Lobsang, I stayed for three months, sweeping her house as is fitting for the pupil, and then I returned here, my way clear before me. And uh, these stories about you are all true, most of them. A bit of exaggeration, but mostly true. The one about the citadel in Muntab and the pash and the fishbone? Oh, yes. 
But how did you get in where half a dozen trained and armed men couldn't even? I'm a little man and I carry a broom, said Lutzay simply. Everyone has some mess that needs clearing up. What harm is a man with a broom? What? And that was it? Well, the rest was a matter of cookery, really. The Pash was not a good man, but he was a glutton for his fish pie. No martial arts, said Lobsang. Oh, always a last resort. History needs shepherds, not butchers. Do you know Oki Doki? Just a lot of bunny hops. Shitake. If I wanted to thrust my hand into hot sand, I would go to the seaside. Upsy-daisy. A waste of good bricks. No kando. You made that one up. Tung pi. Bad-tempered flower arranging. Snarfu. And for cutting wood it is better to use an axe, said Lutze. No, violence is the resort of the violent. In most tight corners a broomstick suffices. Only most a, said Lobsang, not trying to hide the sarcasm. Oh, I see. You wish to face me in the dojo. For it's a very old truth. When the pupil can beat the master, there is nothing the master cannot tell him, because the apprenticeship is ended. You want to learn? Ah, I knew there was something to learn. Lutze stood up. Why you, he said, why here, why now? There is a time and a place for everything. Why this time and this place? If I take you to the dojo, you will return what you stole from me now. He looked down at the teak table where he worked on his mountains. The little shovel was there. A few cherry blossom petals fluttered to the ground. I see, he said. You are that fast, I did not see you. Lobsang said nothing. It is a small and worthless thing, said Lutze. Why did you take it, please? To see if I could. I was bored. Ah, we shall see if we can make life more interesting for you, then. No wonder you are bored when you can already slice time like that. Lutze turned the little shovel over and over in his hand. Very fast, he said. He leaned down and blew the petals away from a tiny glacier. You slice time as fast as a tenth gym, and as yet barely trained. You must have been a great thief. And now, oh dear, I shall have to face you in the dojo. No, there is no need, said Lobsang, because now Lutze looked frightened and humiliated and somehow smaller and brittle-boned. I insist, said the old man. Let us get it done now, for it is written, there is no time like the present, which is Mrs. Cosmopolite's most profound understanding. He sighed and looked up at the giant statue of Wen. Look at him, he said. He was a lad, eh? Completely blissed out on the universe saw the past and future as one living person, and wrote the books of history to tell how the story should go. We can't imagine what those eyes saw, and he never raised a hand to any man in his life. Look, I really don't want to, and you've looked at the other statues, said Lutze, as if he'd completely forgotten about the dojo. 
Distractedly, Lobsang followed his gaze. Up on the raised stone platform that ran the whole length of the gardens were hundreds of smaller statues, mostly carved of wood, all of them painted in garish colours. Figures with more eyes than legs, more tails than teeth, monstrous amalgamations of fish and squid and tiger and parsnip. Things put together as if the creator of the universe had tipped out his box of spare parts and stuck them together. Things painted pink and orange and purple and gold looked down over the valley. Oh, the Dalang, Lobsang began. Demons, that's one word for them, said the sweeper. The abbot called them the enemies of mind. Wen wrote a scroll about them, you know, and he said that was the worst. He pointed to a little hooded grey shape, which looked out of place amongst the festival of wild extremities. Doesn't look very dangerous, said Lobsang. Look, sweeper, I don't want to. They can be very dangerous, things that don't look dangerous, said Lutze. Not looking dangerous is what makes them dangerous, for it is written you can't tell a book by its cover. Lutze, I really don't want to fight you. Oh, your tutors will tell you that the discipline of a martial art enables you to slice time, and that's true as far as it goes, said Lutze, apparently not listening, but so can sweeping, as perhaps you have found. Always find the perfect moment, Wen said. People just seem so keen on using it to kick other people on the back of the neck. But it wasn't a challenge. I just wanted you to show me, and I shall. Come on. I made a bargain, I must keep it. Old fool that I am. The nearest dojo was the dojo of the tenth gym. It was empty except for two monks blurring as they danced across the mat and wrapped time around themselves. Lutze had been right, Lobsang knew. Time was a resource. You could learn to let it move fast or slow, so that a monk could walk easily through a crowd and yet be moving so fast that no one could see him or he could stand still for a few seconds and watch the sun and moon chase one another across a flickering sky. He could meditate for a day in a minute. Here in the valley, a day lasted forever. The blurred fighters became a couple of hesitant monks when they saw Lutze. He bowed. I beg the use of this dojo for a short period while my apprentice teaches me the folly of old age, he said. I really didn't mean, Lobsang began, but Lutze elbowed him in the ribs. The monks gave the old man a nervous look. It's yours, Lutze, said one of them. They hurried out, almost tripping over their own feet as they looked back. Time and its control is what we should teach here, said Lutze, watching them go. The martial arts are an aid, that is all they are. At least, that's all they were meant to be. Even out in the world, a well-trained person may perceive in the fray how flexible time may be. Here, we can build on that. Compress time. Stretch time. Hold the moment. Punching people's kidneys out through their nose is only a foolish byproduct. Lutze took down a razor-edged pika sword from the rack and handed it to the shocked boy. You've seen one of these before. They're not really for novices, but you show promise. Y yes, sweeper, but know how to use it? I'm good at the practice ones, but they're just made of... Take it, then, and attack me. There was a rustling noise above them. Lobsang looked up and saw monks pouring into the observation gallery above the dojo. 
there were some very senior ones amongst them. News gets around quickly in a little world. Rule two, said Lutze, is never refuse a weapon. He took a few steps back. In your own time, boy. Lobsang wielded the curved sword uncertainly. Well, said Lutze, I can't just... Is this the dojo of the tenth gym, said Lutze. Why, mercy me, I do believe it is. That means there are no rules, doesn't it? Any weapon, any strategy, anything is allowed. Do you understand? Are you stupid? But I can't just kill someone because they've asked me to. Why not? What happened to Mr Manners? But you are holding a deadly weapon. You are facing an unarmed man in a pose of submission. Are you frightened? Yes. Yes, I am. Good. That's lesson three, said Lutze quietly. See how much you're learning already? Wipe the smile off your face, have I? All right. Put the sword on the rack and take... Yes, take a dacca stick. The most you can do with that is bruise my old bones. I would prefer it if you wore the protective padding. You're that good with the stick, are you? I'm very fast. Then, if you don't fight right now, I shall wrest it from you and break it over your head, said Lutze, drawing back. Ready? The only defence is to attack well, I'm told. Lobsang raised the stick in reluctant salute. Lutze folded his hands and, as Lobsang danced towards him, closed his eyes and smiled to himself. Lobsang raised the stick and hesitated. Lutze was grinning. Rule two, rule three. What had been rule one? Always remember rule one. Lutze! The abbot's chief acolyte arrived panting in the doorway, waving urgently. Lutze opened one eye and then the other one, and then winked at Lobsang. Narrow escape there, eh? he said. He turned to the acolyte. Yes, exalted sir. You must come immediately, and all monks who are cleared for a tour in the world to the Mandala Hall now. There was a scuffling in the gallery, and several monks pushed their way out through the crowd. Oh, excitement, said Lutze, taking the stick from Lobsang's unresisting hands and putting it back into the rack. The hall was emptying fast. Around the whole of Oi Dong, gongs were being banged frantically. "'What's happening?' said Lobsang as the last of the monks surged past. "'I dare say we shall soon be told,' said Lutze, starting to roll himself a cigarette. "'Hadn't we better hurry? Everyone's going!' The sound of flapping sandals died away in the distance. "'Nothing seems to be on fire,' said Lutze calmly. "'Besides,' If we wait a little, then by the time we get there, everyone will have stopped shouting, and perhaps they'll be making some sense. Let us take the clock path. The display is particularly fine at this time of day. But, but, it is written, you've got to learn to walk before you can run, said Lutze, putting his broom over his shoulder. Mrs. Cosmopolite again? Amazing woman, dusted like a demon too. The clock path wound out from the main complex, up through the terraced gardens, and then rejoined the wider path as it tunnelled into the cliff wall. Novices always asked why it was called the clock path, since there was no sign of a clock anywhere. More gongs started to bang, but they were muffled by the greenery. Lobsang heard running feet up on the main path. Down here, 
Humming birds flickered from flower to flower, oblivious to any excitement. "'I wonder what the time is,' said Lutse, who was walking ahead. "'Everything is a test.' Lobsang glanced around at the flowerbed. "'Quarter past nine, he said. "'Oh, and how do you know that?' The field marigold is open, the red sandwort is opening, the purple bindweed is closed, and the yellow goatsbeard is closing, said Lobsang. You worked out the floral clock all by yourself? Yes, it's obvious. Really? What time is it when the white water lily opens? Six in the morning. You came to look? Yes, you planted this garden, did you? One of my little efforts? It's... Beautiful. It's not very accurate in the small hours. There aren't too many night-blooming plants that grow well up here. They open for the moths, you know. It's how time wants to be measured, said Lobsang. Really? Of course I'm not an expert, said Lutze. He pinched out the end of his cigarette and stuck it behind his ear. Oh, well, let's keep going. Everyone may have stopped arguing at cross-purposes by now. How do you feel about going through the Mandala Hall again? Oh, I'll be fine. I'd just forgotten about it, that's all. Really? And you'd never seen it before, too. But time plays funny tricks on us all. Why, I once... Lutze stopped and stared at the apprentice. Are you all right? he said. You've gone pale. Lobsang grimaced and shook his head. Something felt odd, he said. He waved a hand vaguely in the direction of the lowlands, spread out in a blue and grey pattern on the horizon. Something over there. The glass clock. The great glass house. And here, where it shouldn't be, the glass clock. It was barely here. It showed up as shimmering lines in the air, as if it was possible to capture the sparkle of light off a shiny surface without the surface itself. Everything here was transparent. Delicate chairs, tables, vases of flowers. And now he realised that glass was not a word to use here. Crystal might be better, or ice. The thin, flawless ice you sometimes got after a sharp frost. Everything was visible only by its edges. He could make out staircases through distant walls. Above and below and to every side, the glass rooms went on forever. And yet, it was all familiar. It felt like home. Sound filled the glass rooms. It streamed away in clear, sharp notes, like the tones made by a wet finger around a wine-glass rim. There was movement, too, a haze in the air beyond the transparent walls, shifting and wavering and watching him. "'How can it come from over there, and, and how do you mean odd?' said the voice of Lutze. Lobsang blinked. "'This was the odd place, the one right here, the rigid and unbending world.' And then the feeling passed and faded. "'Just odd,' for a moment,' he mumbled. There was dampness on his cheek. He raised his hand and touched wetness. "'It's that rancid yak butter they put in the tea. I've always said so,' said Lutze. "'Mrs. Cosmopolite never... "'Now that is unusual,' he said, looking up. "'What? What?' said Lobsang, 
looking blankly at his wet fingertips and then up at the cloudless sky. A procrastinator going over speed. He shifted position. Can't you feel it? I can't hear anything, said Lobsang. Not hear, feel. Coming up for your sandals. Oops, there goes another one. And another. You can't feel it. That one's, that's old 66. They've never got it properly balanced. We'll hear them in a minute. Oh dear, look at their flowers. Do look at their flowers. Lobsang turned. The ice plants were opening. The field south thistle was closing. Time leak, said Lutze. Hark at that. You can hear them now, eh? They're dumping time randomly. Come on. According to the second scroll of When the Eternally Surprised, when the Eternally Surprised sawed the first procrastinator from the trunk of a wham-wham tree, carved certain symbols on it, fitted it with a bronze spindle, and summoned the apprentice Clodpool. "'Ah, very nice, master,' said Clodpool. "'A prayer wheel, yes?' "'No, this is nothing like as complex,' said Wen. "'It merely stores and moves time.' "'That's simple, eh?' "'And now I shall test it.' said Wen. He gave it a half-turn with his hand. "'Ah, very nice, master,' said Clodpool. "'A prayer wheel, yes?' "'No, this is nothing like as complex,' said Wen. "'It merely stores and moves time.' "'That's simple, eh?' "'And now I shall test it,' said Wen. He moved it a little less this time. "'That's simple, eh?' "'And now I shall test it,' said Wen. This time he twisted it gently to and fro. That's see, 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 that simple pull, eh, 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 simple, eh, said Clodpool. And I have tested it, said Wen. It worked, master? Yes, I think so. Wen stood up. Give me the rope that you used to carry the firewood, and, yes, a pit from one of those cherries you picked yesterday. He wound the frayed rope around the cylinder and tossed the pit onto a patch of mud. Clodpool jumped out of the way. "'See those mountains?' said Wen, tugging the rope. The cylinder spun and balanced there, humming gently. "'Oh, yes, master,' said Clodpool obediently. There was practically nothing up here but mountains. There were so many that sometimes they were impossible to see, because they got in the way. "'How much time does stone need?' said Wen. "'Or the deep sea? We shall move it.' he placed his left hand just above the spinning blur to where it is needed. He looked down at the cherry pit. His lips moved silently, as though he was working through some complex puzzle. Then he pointed his right hand at the pit. Stand back, he said, and gently let a finger touch the cylinder. There was no sound except the crack of the air as it moved aside and a hiss of steam from the mud. Wen looked up at the new tree and smiled. "'I did say you should stand back,' he said. "'I, er, uh, I shall get down now, then, shall I?' said a voice among the blossom-laden branches. "'But carefully,' said Wen, and sighed as Clodpool crashed down in a shower of petals. "'There will always be cherry-blossom here,' he said. Lutze hitched up his robe and scudded back down the path. Lobsang ran after him. A high-pitched whine seemed to be coming out of the rocks. The sweeper skidded at the carp pond, 
which was now erupting in strange waves, and headed down a shady track alongside a stream. Red ibises erupted into flight. He stopped and threw himself flat on the paving slabs. Get down, now! But Lobsang was already headlong. He heard something pass overhead with a plangent sound. He looked back and saw the last ibis tumbling in the air, shedding feathers surrounded by a halo of pale blue light. It squawked and vanished with a pop. Not vanished entirely. An egg followed the same trajectory for a few seconds and then smashed on the stones. Random time! Come on, come on! shouted Lutze. He scrambled to his feet again, headed towards an ornamental grill in the cliff face ahead of them, and with surprising strength wrenched it out of the wall. It's a bit of a drop, but if you roll when you land, you'll be okay, he said, lowering himself into the hole. Where does it go to? The procrastinators, of course. But novices aren't allowed in there on pain of death. That's a coincidence, said Lutze, lowering himself to the tips of his fingers. Because death is what awaits you if you stay out there, too. He dropped into the darkness. A moment later there was an unenlightened curse from below. Lobsang climbed in, hung by his fingertips, dropped and rolled when he hit the floor. Well done, said Lutze in the gloom. When in doubt, choose to live. This way. The passageway opened into a wide corridor. The noise here was shattering. Something mechanical was in agony. There was a crump, and, a few moments later, a babble of voices. Several dozen monks, wearing thick cork hats as well as their traditional robes, came running round the corner. Most of them were yelling. A few of the brighter ones were saving their breath in order to cover the ground more quickly. Lutze grabbed one of them, who tried to struggle free. Let me go! What's happening? Just get out of here before they all go! The monk shook himself free and spared after the rest of them. Lutze bent down, picked up a fallen cork helmet, and solemnly handed it to Lobsang. "'Health and safety at work,' he said. "'Very important.' "'Will it protect me?' said Lobsang, putting it on. "'Not really. But when they find your head, it may be recognisable. "'When we get into the hall, don't touch anything.' Lobsang had been expecting some vaulted, magnificent structure. People talked about the procrastinator hall as if it was some kind of huge cathedral, but what there was at the end of the passage was a haze of blue smoke. It was only when his eyes became accustomed to the swirling gloom that he saw the nearest cylinder. It was a squat pillar of rock about three yards across and six yards high. It was spinning so fast that it was a blur. Around it the air flickered with slivers of silver-blue light. "'See, they're dumping! Over here, quick!' Lobsang ran after Lutze and saw there were hundreds, no, thousands of the cylinders, some of them reaching all the way to the cavern roof. There were still monks in here, running to and from the wells with buckets of water, which flashed into steam when they threw it over the smoking stone bearings at the base of the cylinders. "'Idiots!' the sweeper muttered. He cupped his hands and shouted, "'Where is the overseer?' Lobsang pointed down to the edge of a wooden podium built onto the wall of the hall. There was a rotting cork hat there and a pair of ancient sandals. In between was a pile of grey dust. Poor fellow, said Lutze. A full fifty thousand years in one jolt, I'd say. He glared at the scurrying monks again. Will you lot stop and come here? I ain't going to ask you twice. Several of them swept the sweat out of their eyes. 
and trotted towards the podium, relieved to hear any kind of order, while behind them the procrastinators screamed. "'Right,' said Lutsay, as they were joined by more and more. "'Now listen to me. This is just a surge cascade. You've all heard of them. We can deal with it. We just have to cross-link futures and pasts, fastest ones first. "'Poor Mr. Shoblang already tried that,' said a monk. He nodded at the sad pile. "'Then I want two teams,' Lutsay stopped. "'No, we haven't got time. We'll do it by the soles of our feet, like we used to do. One man to a spinner, just smack the bars when I say. Ready to go when I call the numbers?' Lutsay climbed onto the podium and ran his eye over a board covered with wooden bobbins. A red or blue nimbus hovered over each one. "'What a mess!' he said. "'What a mess!' "'What do they mean?' said Lobsang. Lutsay's hands hovered over the bobbins. "'Okay. The red-tinted ones are winding time out, speeding it up,' he said. "'The blue-tinted ones, they're winding time in, slowing it down. "'Brightness of the colour, that's how fast they're doing it. "'Except that now they're all freewheeling because the surge cut them loose, understand?' "'Loose from what?' "'From the load. From the world. See up there?' He waved a hand towards two long racks that ran all the way along the cavern wall. Each one held a row of swivelling shutters, one line blue, one line dark red. The more shutters showing a colour, the more time winding or unwinding. Good lad, got to keep it balanced. And the way we get through this is we couple the spinners up in twos so that they wind and unwind one another. Cancel themselves out. Poor old Shoblang was trying to put them back into service, I reckon. Can't be done, not during a cascade. You've got to let it all fall over and then pick up the pieces when it's nice and quiet. He glanced at the bobbins and then at the crowd of monks. Right, you, one, two, eight to seventeen, and then forty-five to eighty-nine. Off you go. And you, five, nine, six to, let's see, yes, four, oh, two. Seven hundred and ninety, shouted Lobsang, pointed to a bobbin. You what? Seven hundred and ninety. Don't be daft, that's still unwinding, lad. 402 is our man right here. 790 is about to start winding time again. It's still bright blue. It's going to wind. I know it's because... The novice's finger moved over the lines of bobbins, hesitated and pointed to a bobbin on the other side of the board. It's matching speeds with this one. Lutsay peered. It is written... Well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs, he said. They're forming a natural inversion. He squinted at Lobsang. "'You're not the reincarnation of someone, are you? That happens a lot in these parts.' "'I don't think so. It's just obvious. A moment ago you didn't know anything about these.' "'Yes, yes, but when you see them it's obvious.' "'Is it? Is it? All right. Then the board's yours, Wonderboy.' Lutsay stood back. "'Mine, but I... Get on with it. That is an order!' For a moment, there was a suggestion of blue light around Lobsang. Lutsay wondered how much time he'd folded around himself in that second. Time enough to think, certainly. Then the boy called out half a dozen pairs of numbers. Lutsay turned to the monks. Jump to it, boys. Mr Lobsang has the board. You boys just watch those bearings. But he's a novice, one of the monks began, and stopped and backed away when he saw Lutsay's expression. All right, sweeper. Uh, all right. A moment later there was the sound of jumpers slamming into place. Lobsang called out another set of numbers. While the monks dashed to and fro to the butter pits for grease, Lutsay watched the nearest column. It was still spinning fast, but he was sure he could see the carvings. Lobsang ran his eye over the board again and stared up at the rumbling cylinders and then back to the lines of shutters. 
There wasn't anything written down about all this Lutze knew. You couldn't teach it in a classroom, although they tried. A good spin driver learned it through the soles of his feet for all the theories that they taught you these days. He'd learn to feel the flows, to see the rows of procrastinators as wells or fountains of time. Old Choblang had been so good that he'd been able to pull a couple of hours of wasted time from a classroom of bored pupils without their even noticing and dump it into a busy workshop a thousand miles away as neat as you pleased. And then there was that trick he used to do with an apple to amaze the apprentices. He'd put it on a pillar next to them and then flick time at it off one of the small spindles. In an instant it'd be a collection of small spindly trees before crumbling to dust. That's what'll happen to you if you get things wrong, he'd said. Lutze glanced down at the pile of grey dust under the disintegrating hat as he hurried past. Well, maybe it was the way he'd want to go. A scream of tormented stone made him look up. Keep those bearings greased, you lazy devils, he yelled, running down the rows. And watch those rails! Hands off the splines! We're doing fine! As he ran, he kept his eyes on the columns. They were no longer turning randomly. Now they had a purpose. "'I think you're winning, lad!' he shouted to the figure on the podium. "'Yes, but I can't balance it. There's too much time wound up and nowhere to put it.' "'How much?' "'Almost forty years!' Lutze glanced at the shutters. Forty years looked about right, but surely... "'How much?' he said. Forty. I'm sorry, there's nothing to take it up.' "'No problem. Steal it. Shed load. We can always pull it back later. Dump it.' "'Where?' "'Find a big patch of sea.' The sweeper pointed to a crude map of the world painted on the wall. Do you know how to... Can you see how to give it the right spin and direction? Once again there was the blueness in the air. Yes, I think so. Yes, I imagine you do. In your own time, then. Lutze shook his head. Forty years? He was worried about forty years. Forty years was nothing. Apprentice drivers had dumped fifty thousand years before now. That was the thing about the sea. It just stayed big and wet. It had always been big and wet. It would always be big and wet. Oh, maybe fishermen would start to dredge up strange whiskery fish that they'd only ever seen before as fossils, but who cared what happened to a bunch of codfish? The sound changed. What are you doing? I've found space on number 422. It can take another 40 years. No sense in wasting time. I'm pulling it back now. There was another change of tone. Got it? I'm sure I've got it. Some of the bigger cylinders were already slowing to a halt. Lobsang was moving pegs around the board now, faster than the bewildered Lutze could follow, and overhead the shutters were slamming back, one after another, showing age-blackened wood instead of colour. No one could be that accurate, could they? You're down to months now, lad. Months, he shouted. Keep it up. No, blimey, you're down to days. Days! Keep an eye on me! The sweeper ran towards the end of the hall, to where the procrastinators were smaller. Time was fine-tuned here on cylinders of chalk and wood and other short-lived materials. To his amazement, some of them were already slowing. He raced down an aisle of oak columns a few feet high, but even the procrastinators that could wind time in hours and minutes were falling silent. There was a squeaking noise. Beside him, one final little chalk cylinder at the end of a row rattled around on its bearing like a spinning top. Lutze crept towards it, staring at it intently, one hand raised. The squeaking was the only sound now, apart from the occasional clink of cooling bearings. Nearly there, he called out. Slowing down now, wait for it. Wait f 
four, eat! The chalk procrastinator, no bigger than a reel of cotton, slowed, spun, stopped. On the racks, the last two shutters closed. Lutze's hand fell. Now, kill the board, no one touch a thing! For a moment, there was dead silence in the hall. The monks watched, holding their breath. This was a timeless moment of perfect balance. Tick. And in that timeless moment, the ghost of Mr. Shoblang, to whom the scene was hazy and fuzzy, as though seen through a gauze, said, This is just impossible. Did you see that? See what? said a dark figure behind him. Shoblang turned. Ah, he said, and added with sudden certainty, Your death, right? Yes, I am sorry I am late. The spirit formerly known as Shoblang looked down at the pile of dust that represented his worldly habitation for the previous six hundred years. So am I, he said. He nudged death in the ribs. Excuse me. I said, I'm sorry I'm late. Boom, boom. I beg your pardon. Uh, you know, sorry I'm late. Like dead? Death nodded. Oh, I see. It was the boom, boom I did not understand. Eh, uh, that was to show it was a joke, said Shoblang. I, yes. I can see how that would be necessary. In fact, Mr. Shoblang, while you are late, you are also early, boom, boom. Pardon? You have died before your time. Well, yes, I should think so. Do you have any idea why? It's very unusual. All I know is that the spinners went wild, and I must have copped a load when one of them went over speed, said Shoblang. But hey, what about that kid, eh? Look at the way he's making the buggers dance. I wish I'd had him training under me. What am I saying? He could give me a few tips. Death looked around. To whom do you refer? That boy, up on the podium, see him? No, I'm afraid I see no one there. What? Look, he's right there, plain as the nose on your face. Well, obviously not on your face. I see the coloured pegs moving. Well, who do you think is moving them? I mean, you are death, right? I thought you could see everyone. Death stared at the dancing bobbins. Everyone that I should see, he said. He continued to stare. Ahem, said Choblang. Oh, yes. Where were we? Look, if I'm uh, too early, then can't you... Everything that happens stays happened. What kind of philosophy is that? The only one that works. Death took out an hourglass and consulted it. I see that because of this problem you are not due to reincarnate for seventy-nine years. Do you have anywhere to stay? Stay? I'm dead. It's not like locking yourself out of your own house, said Shoblang, who was beginning to fade. Perhaps you could be bumped up to an earlier birth. Shoblang vanished. In the timeless moment 
Death turned back to stare at the hall of spinners. Tick. The chalk cylinder started to spin again, squeaking gently. One by one, the oak procrastinators began to revolve, picking up the rising load. This time there was no scream of bearings. They twirled slowly like old ballerinas, this way and that, gradually taking up the strain as millions of humans in the world outside bent time around themselves. The creaking sounded like a tea-clipper rounding Cape Roth on a gentle breeze. Then the big stone cylinders groaned as they picked up the time their smaller brethren couldn't handle. A rumbling underlay the creaking now, but it was still gentle, controlled. Lutze lowered his hand gently and straightened up. "'A nice clean pick-up,' he said. "'Well done, everyone.' He turned to the astonished panting monks and beckoned the most senior towards him. Lutze pulled a ragged cigarette end out of its lodging behind his ear and said, "'Well, now, Rambert Handysides, what do you think happened just now, eh?' "'Oh, well, there was a surge which blew out. Nah, 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 after that,' said Lutze, striking a match on the sole of his sandal. "'See, what I don't think happened was that you boys ran around like a lot of headless chickens "'and a novice got up on the platform and did the sweetest, smoothest bit of rebalancing I've ever seen. "'That couldn't have happened, because that sort of thing does not happen, am I right?' "'The monks of the procrastinator floor were not among the temple's great political thinkers. "'Their job was to tend and grease and strip down and rebuild "'and follow the directions of the man on the platform.' "'Rambert Handicide's brow wrinkled.' Lutze sighed. "'See, what I think happened,' he said helpfully, "'was that you lads rose to the occasion, right, "'and left myself and the young man there "'aghast at the practical skills you all showed. "'The abbot will be impressed and blow happy bubbles. "'You could be looking at some extra momos "'in your thugpar come dinner time, if you get my drift.' "'Handicides ran this up his mental flagpole, "'and it did indeed send prayers to heaven. "'He began to smile.' "'However,' said Lutze, stepping closer and lowering his voice, "'I'll probably be around again soon. "'This place looks as though it could do with a good sweeping. "'And if I don't find you boys pin-sharp and prodding buttock inside a week, "'you and I will have a... talk.' The smile vanished. "'Yes, sweeper. "'You've got to test them all and see to those bearings. "'Yes, sweeper. "'And someone clear up Mr. Shoblang.' "'Yes, sweeper. Fair play to you, then. Me and young Lobsang here will be going. You've done a lot for his education.' He took the unresisting Lobsang by the hand and led him out of the hall, past the long lines of turning, humming procrastinators. A pall of blue smoke still hung under the high ceiling. "'Trolley, it is written. You could knock me down with a feather,' he muttered, as they headed up the sloping passage. "'You spotted that inversion before it happened.' "'I'd have blown us into next week, at least.' "'Sorry, sweeper.' "'Sorry? You don't have to be sorry. I don't know what you are, son. You're too quick. You're taken to this place like a duck to water. You don't have to learn stuff that takes other people years to get the hang of. Old Shoblang, may he be reincarnated somewhere nice and warm, even he couldn't balance the load down to a second. I mean, a second? Over a whole damn world?' He shuddered. "'Here's a tip.' Don't let it show. People can be funny about that sort of thing. Yes, sweeper. And another thing, said Lutze, leading the way out into the light. What was all that fuss just before the procrastinators cut loose? You felt something. I don't know. I just felt everything went wrong for a moment. 
ever happened before? No, it was a bit like what happened in the Mandela Hall. Well, don't talk about it to anyone else. Most of the high-ups these days probably don't even know how the spinners work. No one cares about them anymore. No one notices something that works too well. Of course, in the old days, you weren't even allowed to become a monk until you'd spent six months in the hall, greasing and cleaning and fetching. And we were better for it. These days, it's all about learning obedience and cosmic harmony. Well, in the old days, you learned that in the halls. You learned that if you didn't jump out of the way when someone yelled, she's dumping, you got a couple of years where it hurt, and that there's no harmony better than all the spinners turning sweetly. The passage rose into the main temple complex. People were still scurrying around as they headed for the Mandela Hall. Are you sure you can look at it again? said Lutze. Yes, sweeper. OK, you know best. The balconies overlooking the hall were crowded with monks, but Lutze worked his way forward by polite yet firm use of his broom. The senior monks were clustered at the edge. Rin Po caught sight of him. Ah, oh, sweeper, he said. Some dust delayed you. Spinners cut free and went over speed, muttered Lutze. Yes, but you were summoned by the abbot, said the acolyte reproachfully. Upon a time, said Lutze, every man jack of us would have legged it down to the hall when the gongs went. Yes, but... said the abbot, and Lobsang saw now that he was being carried in a sling on the acolyte's back, with an embroidered pixie hood on his head to keep off the chill. Lutze always was very keen on the practical approach. He blew milky suds into the acolyte's ear. I am glad matters have been resolved, Lutze. The sweeper bowed, while the abbot started to beat the acolytes gently over the head with a wooden bear. History has repeated, Lutze, dum 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 Glass clock, said Lutze. The senior monks gasped. How could you possibly know that? said the chief acolyte. We haven't rerun the mandala yet. It is written, I've got a feeling in me water, said Lutze. And that was the only other time I ever heard of when all the spinners went wild like that. They all cut loose. Time slip. Someone's building a glass clock again. That is quite impossible, said the acolyte. We removed every trace. Ha! It is written, I'm not as green as I'm cabbage looking, snapped Lutze. Something like that you can't kill. It leaks back. Stories, dreams, paintings on cave walls, whatever. Lobsang looked down at the mandala floor. Monks were clustered around a group of tall cylinders at the far end of the hall. They looked like procrastinators, but only one small one was spinning, slowly. The others were motionless, showing the mass of symbols that were carved into them from top to bottom. Pattern storage. The thought arrived in his head. That is where the mandala's patterns are kept, so that they can be replayed. Today's patterns on the little one... Long-term storage on the big ones. Below him, the mandala rippled, blotches of colour and scraps of pattern drifting across its surface. One of the distant monks called out something, and the smaller cylinder stopped. The rolling sand grains were stilled. This is how it looked twenty minutes ago, said Rinpo. See the blue-white dot there, and then it spreads. I know what I'm looking at, said Lutze grimly. I was there when it happened, remember? Your reverence, get them to run the old glass clock sequence. We haven't got a lot of time. I really think we... The acolyte began, but he was interrupted by a blow from a rubber brick. Wanna putty, wanna... If Lutze is right, then we must not waste time, gentlemen. 
and if he is wrong, then we have time to spare. Is this not so? Potty now, wanna, wanna, wanna. Thank you, said the sweeper. He cupped his hands. Oi, you lot, spindle two, fourth bing, around about the nineteenth gopa, and jump to it. I really must respectfully protest, your reverence, said the acolyte. We have practised for just such an emergency as... Yeah, I know all about practising procedures for emergency, said Lutze, and there's always something missing. Ridiculous. We take great pains to... You'll always leave out the damn emergency. Lutze turned back to the hall and the apprehensive workers. Ready? Good. Put it on the floor now, or I shall have to come down there, and I don't want to have to come down there. There was some frantic activity by men around the cylinders, and a new pattern replaced the one below the balcony. The lines and colours were in different places, but a blue-white circle occupied the centre. There, said Lutze. That was less than ten days before the clock struck. There was silence from the monks. Lutze smiled grimly. And ten days later... Time stopped, said Lobsang. That's one way of putting it, said Lutze. He'd gone red in the face. One of the monks put a hand on his shoulder. "'It's all right, Huswepa,' he said soothingly. "'We know you couldn't have got there in time.' "'Being in time is supposed to be what we do,' said Lutze. "'I was nearly at the damn door, Charlie. Too many castles, not enough time.' Behind him, the mandala returned to its slow metering of the present. "'It wasn't your fault,' said the monk. Lutze shook the hand free and turned to face the abbot over the shoulder of the chief acolyte. "'I want permission to track this one down right now, reverend sir,' he said. He tapped his nose. "'I've got the smell of it. I've been waiting for this all these years. You won't find me wanting this time.' In the silence, the abbot blew a bubble. "'It'll be an Ubervault again,' said Lutze, a hint of pleading in his voice. "'That's where they mess around with the electric. "'I know every inch of that place. Give me a couple of men and we can nip this right in the bud.' Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, this needs discussion, Lutze, but we thank you for your offer, ba 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 said the abbot. Rinpo, I want all ba-dum-dum-ba-dum, the senior field monks in the room of silence within five ba-ba-ba minutes. Are the spinners working ba-dum-ba-dum harmoniously? One of the monks looked up from a scroll he'd been handed. It appears so, your reverence. My congratulations to the board master. Pick it! "'But Shoplang is dead,' murdered Lutze. "'The abbot stopped blowing bubbles. "'That is sad news. "'And he was a friend of yours, I understand.' "'Shouldn't have happened like that,' the sweeper muttered. "'Shouldn't have happened like that. "'Compose yourself, Lutze. "'I will talk to you shortly. "'Bicket!' "'The chief acolyte, spurred on by a blow across the ear "'with a rubber monkey, hurried away. "'The press of monks began to thin out "'as they went about their duties.' Lutze and Lobsang were left on the balcony, looking down at the rippling mandala. Lutze cleared his throat. "'See them spinners at the end?' he said. "'The little one records the patterns for a day, and then anything interesting is stored in the big ones.' "'I just remembered that you were going to say that.' "'Good word, good word. The lad has talent.' Lutze lowered his voice. "'Anyone watching us?' Lobsang looked round. "'There's a few people still here.' Lutze raised his voice again. You been taught anything about the big crash? Only rumours, sweeper. Yeah, there were a lot of rumours. The day, time stood still, all that sort of thing. Lutze sighed. You know, most of what you get taught is lies. It has to be. Sometimes, if you get the truth all at once, you can't understand it. 
You knew Ankh-Morpork pretty well, did you? Ever go to the Opera House? Only for pickpocket practice, sweeper. Ever wonder about it? Ever look at that little theatre just over the road called that Disc, I think? Oh, yes, we got penny tickets and sat on the ground and threw nuts at the stage. And it didn't make you think? Big opera house, all plush and gilt and big orchestras. And then there's this little thatched theatre, all bare wood and no seats, and one bloke playing a crumb horn for musical accompaniment. Lobsang shrugged. Well, no, that's just how things are. Lutze almost smiled. Very flexible things, human minds, he said. It's amazing what they can stretch to fit. We did a fine job there. Lutze? One of the lesser acolytes was waiting respectfully. The abbot will see you now, he said. All right, said the sweeper. He nudged Lobsang and whispered, We're going to hang more pork, lad. What? But you said you wanted to be sent to... Lutze winked. Cos it is written, them as asks don't get, see? There's more than one way of choking a dang-dang than stuffing it with pling, lad. Is there? Oh, yes. If you've got enough pling. Now, let's see the abbot, shall we? It'll be time for his feed now, solids, thank goodness. At least he's done with a wet nurse. It was so embarrassing for him and the young lady, honestly. You didn't know where to put your face, and neither did he. I mean, mentally, he's nine hundred years old. That must make him very wise. Uh, pretty wise, pretty wise. But age and wisdom don't necessarily go together, I've always found, said Lutze, as they approached the abbot's rooms. Some people just become stupid with more authority. Not his reverence, of course. The abbot was in his high chair, and had recently flicked a spoonful of nourishing pap all over the chief acolyte, who was smiling, like a man whose job depended on looking happy that parsnip and gooseberry custard was dribbling down his forehead. It occurred to Lobsang, not for the first time, that the abbot was a little bit more than purely random in his attacks on the man. The acolyte was, indeed, the kind of mildly objectionable person who engendered an irresistible urge in any right-thinking person to pour goo into his hair and hit him with rubber yak, and the abbot was old enough to listen to his inner child. "'You sent for me, your reverence?' said Lutze, bowing. The abbot upturned his bowl down the chief acolyte's robe. "'Well, ah, yes, Lutze, how old are you now?' Eight hundred, your reverence, but that's no age at all. "'Nevertheless, you have spent a lot of time in the world. "'I understood you were looking to retire and cultivate your gardens.' "'Yes, but—' "'But?' the abbot smiled angelically. "'Like an old warhorse, you'll say, "'Ha-ha, at the sound of trumpets, yes?' "'I don't think so,' said Lutze. "'There's nothing funny about trumpets, really. "'I meant that you long to be out in the field again. "'But you have been helping to train world operatives for many years, haven't you, these gentlemen?' "'A number of burly and muscular monks were sitting on one side of the room. "'They were kitted out for travel with rolled sleeping mats on their backs "'and dressed in loose black clothing. "'They nodded sheepishly at Lutze, "'and their eyes above their half-masks looked embarrassed.' "'I did my best,' said Lutze. "'Of course, others trained them. "'I just tried to undo the damage. "'I never taught them to be ninjas,' he nudged Lobsang. "'That apprentice is Agatean for the passing wind,' he said in a stage whisper. "'I am proposing to send them out immediately. "'The abbot hit his high chair with his spoon. "'That is my order, Lutze. "'You are a legend, but you have been a legend for a long time.' Why not trust in the future? Bick it! I see, said Lutze sadly. Ah, oh, well, it had to happen sometime. Thank you for your consideration, your reverence. 
Let's say I have known you a long time. You will not go within a hundred miles of Oberwald, will you? Not at all, your reverence. That is an order. I understand, of course. You've disobeyed my ba 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 orders before, though, in Omnia, I remember. Tactical decision made by the man on the spot, your reverence. It was more what you might call an interpretation of your order, said Lutze. You mean going where you had distinctly been told not to go and doing what you were absolutely forbidden to do? Yes, your reverence. Sometimes you have to move the seesaw by pushing the other end. When I did what shouldn't be done in a place where I shouldn't have been, I achieved what needed to be done in a place where it should have happened. The abbot gave Lutze a long, hard stare, the kind that babies are good at giving. Lutze, you are not to go to Oberwald or anywhere near Oberwald, understand? he said. I do, your reverence, you are right, of course, but in my dotage may I travel another path of wisdom rather than violence. I wish to show this young man the way. There was laughter from the other monks. The way of the washerwoman, said Rinpo. Mrs. Cosmopolite is a dressmaker, said Lutze calmly, whose wisdom is in sayings like, it won't get better if you pick it, said Rinpo, winking at the rest of the monks. "'Few things get better if you pick at them,' said Lutze. "'And now his calmness was a leak of tranquillity. "'It may be a mean little way, but small and unworthy though it is, "'it is my way.' "'He turned to the abbot. "'That was how it used to be, your reverence, you recall. "'Master and pupil go out into the world, "'where the pupil may pick up practical instruction by precept and example, "'and then a pupil finds his own way, "'and at the end of his way he finds himself burdened.' said the abbot. First, he finds a teacher, said Lutze. He is lucky that you will badum badum be that teacher. Reverend sir, said Lutze, it is in the nature of ways that none can be sure who the teacher may be. All I can do is show him a path, which will be in the direction of badum the city, said the abbot. Yes, said Lutze. "'and Ankh-Morpork is a long way from Oberwald. "'You won't send me to Oberwald because I am an old man, "'so, in all respect, I beg you to humour an old man.' "'I have no choice, when you put it like that,' said the abbot. "'Reverend sir,' began Rinpo, who felt that he did. "'The spoon was banged on the tray again. "'Lutze is a man of high reputation,' the abbot shouted. "'I trust him implicitly to do the correct action.' I just wish I could bloom bloom trust him to do what I bloom bloom want. I have forbidden him to go to Oberwald. Now do you wish me to forbid him not to go to Oberwald? Be it. I have spoken. And now, will all you gentlemen be so good as to leave? I have urgent business to attend to. Lutze bowed and grabbed Lobsang's arm. Come on, lad, he whispered. Let's bugger off quick before anyone works it out. On the way out, they passed a lesser acolyte carrying a small potty with a pattern of bunny rabbits around it. "'It's not easy, reincarnating,' said Lutze, running down the corridor. "'Now, we've got to be out of here before someone gets any funny ideas, lad. Grab your bag and bedroll.' "'But no one would countermand the abbot's orders, would they?' said Lobsang as they skidded around a corner. "'It'll be his nap in ten minutes, and if they give him a new toy when he wakes up, "'he might end up being so busy banging square green pegs into round blue holes, "'he'll forget what he said,' said Lutze. 
politics, lad. Too many idiots will start saying what they're sure the abbot would have meant. Off you go now. I'll see you in the Garden of Five Surprises in one minute. When Lobsang arrived, Lutze was carefully tying one of the bonsai mountains into a bamboo framework. He fastened the last knot and placed it in a bag over one shoulder. Won't it get damaged? said Lobsang. It's a mountain. How can it get damaged? Lutze picked up his broom. And we'll just drop in and have a chat with an old mate of mine before we leave, though. Maybe we'll pick up some stuff. What's going on, sweeper? said Lobsang, treading after him. "'Well, it's like this, lad. "'Me and the abbot and the bloke we're going to see, "'we go back a long way. "'Things are a bit different now. "'The abbot can't just say, "'Lute say you are an old rogue. "'It was you who put the idea of Uberwald "'into everyone's heads in the first place, "'but I see you're onto something, "'so off you go and follow your nose.' "'But I thought he was the supreme ruler.' "'Exactly. "'And it's very hard to get things done "'when you're a supreme ruler. "'There are too many people in the way, "'mucking things up.' This way, the new lads can have fun running around Uberfelt going, Hi! And we, my lad, will be heading Frank Morpork. The abbot knows that. Almost knows that. How do you know the new clock is being built in Ank Morpork? said Lobsang, trailing behind Lutze as he took a mossy, sunken path that led through rhododendron thickets to the monastery wall. I know. I'll tell you, the day someone pulls the plug out of the bottom of the universe, the chain will lead all the way to Ank Morpork and some bugger saying... I just wanted to see what would happen. All roads lead to Ankh Morpork. I thought all roads led away from Ankh Morpork. Not the way we're going. Ah, here we are. Lutze knocked on the door of a rough but large shed built right up against the wall. At the same moment, there was an explosion within, and someone, Lobsang corrected himself, half of someone, tumbled very fast out of the unglazed window beside it and hit the path with bone-cracking force. Only when it stopped rolling did he realise it was a wooden dummy in a monk's robe. "'Cow's having fun, I see,' said Lutze. He hadn't moved as the dummy had sailed past his ear. The door burst open, and a plump old monk looked out excitedly. "'Did you see that? Did you see that?' he said. "'And that was with just one spoonful.' He nodded at them. "'Oh, hello, Lutze. I was expecting you. I've got some things ready.' "'Got what?' said Lobsang. "'Who's the boy?' said Q, ushering them in. "'The untutored child is called Lobsang,' said Lutze, looking around the shed. "'There was a smoking circle on the stone floor, with drifts of blackened sand around it. "'New toys, Q?' "'Exploding mandala,' said Q, happily, bustling forward. "'Just sprinkle a special sand on a simple design anywhere you like, "'and the first enemy to walk on it, bang, instant karma. Don't touch that!' "'Lutze reached across and snatched from Lobsang's inquisitive hands "'the begging bowl that he had just picked up from a table.' "'Remember rule one,' he said, and hurled the bowl across the room. Hidden blades slid out as it spun, and the bowl buried itself in a beam. "'That would take a man's head right off,' said Lobsang. And then they heard the faint ticking. Three, four, five, said Q. "'Everyone duck now!' Lutze pushed Lobsang to the floor a moment before the bowl exploded. Metal fragments scythed overhead. "'I added... Just little something extra since you last saw it, said Q proudly, as they got to their feet again. A very versatile device. Plus, of course, you can use it to eat rice out of. Oh, and have you seen this? He picked up a prayer drum. Both Lutze and Lobsang took a step back. Q twirled the drum a few times, and the weighted cords pattered against the skins. The cord can be instantly removed for a handy garrote, he said, and the drum itself can be removed, like so, to reveal this useful dagger. "'Plus, of course, you could use it to pray with,' said Lobsang. "'Well spotted,' said Q. "'Quick, boy, 
A prayer is always useful in the last resort. In fact, we've been working on a very promising mantra incorporating sonic tones that have a particular effect on the human nervous system. I don't think we need any of this stuff, Q, said Lutze. Q sighed. At least you could let us turn your broom into a secret weapon, Lutze. I've shown you the plans. It is a secret weapon, said Lutze. It's a broom. How about the new yaks we've been breeding? At the touch of a rain, their horns will instantly... We want the spinners, Q. The monk suddenly looked guilty. Spinners? What? Spinners. Lutze walked across the room and pressed a hand against part of the wall, which slid aside. These spinners, Q, don't muck me about. We haven't got time. Lobsang saw what looks very much like two small procrastinators, each one within a metal framework mounted on a board. There was a harness attached to each board. You haven't told it Abbot about them yet, have you? said Lutze, unhooking one of the things. He'd put a stop to them if you did. You know that. I didn't think anyone knew, said Q. How did you? Lutze grinned. No one notices a sweeper, he said. They're still very experimental, said Q, close to panic. I was going to tell the abbot, of course, but I was waiting until I had something to demonstrate, and it would be terrible if they fell into the wrong hands. Then we'll see to it they don't, said Lutze, examining the straps. How are they powered now? Weights and ratchets were too unreliable, said Q. I'm afraid I had to resort to clockwork. Lutze stiffened, and he glared at the monk. Clockwork? Only as a motive force, only as a motive force, Q protested. There's really no other choice. Too late now, it'll have to do, said Lutze, unhooking the other board and passing it across to Lobsang. There you go, lad, with a bit of sacking round it, it'll look just like a backpack. What is it? Q sighed. They're portable procrastinators. Try not to break them, please. What'll we need them for? I hope we don't have to find out, said Lutze. Thanks, Q. Are you sure you wouldn't prefer some time bombs, said Q, hopefully. Drop one on the floor and time will slow for... Thanks, but no. The other monks were fully equipped, said Q. But we're travelling light, said Lutze firmly. We'll go out the back way, Q, OK? End of CD 4